Welcome to Don't Read Drunk, a podcast about books and booze. I'm Jenny, and I'll be your host. Hi, everyone, and welcome back. It's episode 105 today, and we'll be talking about Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone by Benjamin Stevenson. I hope everyone had a wonderful holiday, whichever holiday you celebrate. I've got some family that celebrates Hanukkah, which was, of course, earlier this month. And then there's Yule and Kwanzaa and Bodhi Day, which was also earlier in the month. Bodhi Day is a Buddhist holiday that commemorates the day that Gautama Buddha is said to have attained enlightenment, which again is another thing I don't know that I would have looked up if it wasn't for the podcast. My family celebrates Christmas, but not really as like a religious holiday. I know I've mentioned before that I'm not really Christian, but lean more towards agnostic and a little witchy. So the boy and I did a little Yule celebration too. Again, not really as a religious holiday, but to honor the changing of the seasons and recognize that winter is a time of rebirth and regeneration. Christmas was a great time with my folks, and I know I say it all the time, but I am so thankful for them. I'm truly fortunate to have them as my parents, and there's little in life that gives me more joy than seeing my kids with their grandparents. I had a great relationship with my grandparents, other than my grandpa who passed away when I was eight years old and didn't really get the chance to know and spend a whole lot of time with. And my grandparents are long gone now, but continue to impact my life, and I treasure the memories I have of time spent with them. The holiday with my grandparents and my parents are some of my best memories. Of course, we got some amazing gifts. The boy didn't get a lot of gifts with me, as finances didn't allow for the gifts that I would have liked to give him. But Christmas isn't just about the gifts, and I'm glad that my son knows that. He did get plenty of things at his dad's house, though, so I'm glad he got spoiled a little bit, even though I wasn't the one to do it. I know I've mentioned his dad isn't the greatest of parents, but when he's in a relationship, he always tries to do a little harder to be a better dad to impress may potentially fool his girlfriends. So at least that's good for my son, even if it is not fully, you know, uh, real. But anyways, I definitely fell for it too. So I don't blame the girlfriends. And despite his father, my son has a good life and he's a good kid. I am very proud of him. And now it's time to start a new year with new goals and another new chapter. It's always a fun time of year and reminds me of how fortunate I am. And for the booze this week with suspense novels, a red wine is always an excellent pairing. And since the book is set in Australia, written by an Australian author, an Australian wine is only fitting and Red Knot Shiraz was perfect for this week. This wine comes from McLaren Vale, Australia and is available for $15.99 at Total Wine. From the Total Wine website, Quote, this deep red color wears the aroma of ripe raspberry, which is layered with hints of roasted coffee and almond oak. This is a well-structured Shiraz filled with dark fruit flavors and hints of vanilla. Great value. Enjoy with roasted lamb shoulder. And count on total wine for some basic pairings, of course. (laughs) This wine comes in at 14% ABV and is a medium-bodied wine. Red Knot Wines comes from the Shingleback Winery. I've linked their website in the show notes too, just so you could take a look at it if you want and see what other wines that they have. 
from their website, quote, for over 25 years, we have been crafting wines that capture the genuine and enduring character of the land. It's long summer days, it's rich ancient earth, and our community of hardworking farmers and growers whose commitment to this land never wavers. Hugging the crystal blue coastline and cooled by the ocean breeze, our grapes enjoy a longer ripening time on the vine. With every grape promising generous flavor and depth, almost any wine is possible. I paired this book and the wine with what the internet says is an Aussie classic, but something that I love for the holidays as well, rum balls. My mom never made rum balls, but one year I had a client who brought in me this beautiful tray of cookies and that she and her family had baked, and it was all so incredible. But I was taken in by the rum balls and loved them. I don't make them often, but once the internet told me, and if it's on the internet, it must be true, right? Then I had to pair the wine with some of these rum balls. The client gave me her recipe because I asked for it, and it's still the same recipe that I use today. I found one that's almost exact, and I've linked it in the show notes as well. As far as the author this week, okay, I don't feel too bad about not knowing who Benjamin Stevenson is. He's Australian, and even though the world is smaller than it used to be due to technology, he's not a name that I recognized. He's got his own website and a nice bio on there. So from his website, quote, Benjamin Stevenson is an award-winning stand-up comedian and author. His first novel, Green Light, was shortlisted for the Ned Kelly Award for Best Debut Crime Fiction and published in the U.S. and U.K., His second novel, Either Side of Midnight, was shortlisted for the International Thriller Writers Award for Best Original Paperback. His novella, Find Us, was an internationally best-selling audiobook. He has sold out live shows from the Melbourne International Comedy Festival all the way to Edinburgh Fringe Festival and has appeared on ABC TV, Channel 10, and the Comedy Channel. Offstage, Benjamin has worked for publishing houses and literary literary agencies in Australia and the USA. He currently works with some of Australia's best love authors at Curtis Brown, Australia. He loves hearing from readers on Instagram at Stevenson Experience, who I follow, and Facebook, The Stevenson Experience. Everyone in My Family Has Killed Someone is his third novel. There isn't a ton out there about Stevenson, but like I said, I did follow him on Instagram. And based on his novel, I do think that I would like his comedy as well. So I might have to check that out sometime. Getting into the book this week, I am finally reading a popular book when it's relatively recent. (laughs) I've got my mom to thank for it. When we visited Tennessee for Thanksgiving, my mom mentioned that at Pickleball, everyone was talking about everyone in my family has killed someone. So I immediately checked Everand and the audiobook was there. With popular books, there's always a long wait at the library, especially new popular books. So I always check Everand first. Because they aren't as well known, they don't always have the biggest, most popular audiobooks. But sometimes I am very presently surprised, and this was one of those times. So, again, if you haven't checked out Everend, please do use my link to get 60 days free. Then I also get, I think, a month free if you do it. But I love Everend. I mostly use it for audiobooks. 
Um, they don't sponsor me. They should <laughs> because I talk about them all the time. But um, check it out because that's where I um, went to listen to this book. So everyone in my family has killed someone is a whodunit murder mystery with the locked room theme. The narrator of the story is telling directly to us as the reader. While part of the driving motivation is uncovering who each person in the narrator, Ernest's family has killed. The plot is also driven by the mystery of a murder of a man where Ernest's family is having their family reunion. The man shows up almost after almost everyone in the family has arrived at this ski resort in Australia. The book kind of gives me like murder your employer, a McMaster's guide type vibes. Uh, They both have this uniquely funny element fun and funny that kind of adds to the style of the murder mystery. The actual narrator who reads the audiobook, Barton Welch, is fabulous. He has that Australian accent appropriate for a book written by an Australian author and set in Australia, but I'm not going to lie, it adds to me or it adds to the fun of the book for me. As an American, an accent by the narrator that matches the location of the book is almost imperative. And before you get started on me about accents, I know I've got a Midwestern accent like crazy. My pronunciation of Wisconsin and potato and all the other things that are pointed out to me. I know I'm not quite a youper, but I am darn close. (laughs) And it's just the way it is. And I'm going to have to deal with it. So I love how Ernest or Ernie or Ern calls out the recent popularity of the unreliable narrator. Ern says he's going to be totally honest with us, the reader. Now, I'm always immediately hesitant if someone claims they're honest. So that put me on edge right away. Also, he's very sure to say that he's going to tell the truth as he remembers it. And we as humans have terrible memories, and we're so convinced we have brains like vaults and that we remember things exactly as they happen, but we don't really. And I've come to learn as I've gotten older and older how truly terrible that my memory is. I love that Stevenson deviates a little from the unreliable narrator, but still creates that question of reliability at the same time. Ern, to me, is relatable. He's got that fun relationship with his stepsister, Sophia, that you've got to have with one of your family members, especially with a family like theirs. They play off of each other and they make fun of everyone for their flaws, but at the same time, they still love them and appreciate their quirks. Ern has his flaws too. I can just envision the reviews where someone is guaranteed to comment that someone, you know, and that someone's going to say that they, none of the characters are likable and they didn't like anybody. I was just looking at another reviews for another book too. And somebody said that and I'm like, well, that book, I think it was Girl on a Train actually. And someone commented that I didn't like any of the characters. And I'm like, well, That is kind of a book where all of the characters are despicable and you're not really supposed to like them. So I think I would have a problem if you did like the characters. (laughs) Anyways, I find them all to be pretty realistic representations of actual human beings. Lucy, who is Ern's um, sister-in-law, is involved in an MLM, a multi-level marketing scheme. And I love how Stevenson points out that these are predatory companies targeting women with promises of independence and financial stability, all while achieving the enviable work-life balance. And we all know these types of people where they're good-hearted, wonderful people, and they just end up sinking so much money into these 
well, they're struggling with themselves with the success for trying to get the success, but also having that shame. Lucy is embraced by her family, even though she's no longer officially part of it due to her, her divorce from Ern's brother. Though she, Lucy, is convinced that they're going to get back together. Lucy is such a pitiable character and your heart just breaks for her because she really is just trying her best and keeps failing, though she never really learns the lessons that life is trying to teach her. Stevenson is funny and engaging with Ern's character, but he also has great lines that aren't necessarily brilliant literature, but had me laughing out loud, like his description of an area that had a particularly rank odor. Ern says, to say it smelled like feet was a disservice to feet. He's also got some lovely reflections on family. He says, family is gravity. And I can relate to this so much. Your family are those people that keep you grounded. And then fitting for the novel, quote, family isn't whose blood runs through your veins. It's who you'd spill it for. It's just a fun mystery novel where there are clues everywhere. Someone a little more observant than I might have figured things out better than I did, Ern goes over the rules of the story and the rules of a mystery novel. It's part of the uniqueness of the story itself. It adds to that whole reliable narrator piece. He lays it out like when he'll reveal certain aspects of the story as well as when someone will die. So it's not only unique in that way, but it helps, helps to build up some of that suspense. Since I was listening on audiobook, I wasn't always certain when a murder or a reveal was supposed to occur, but it was still fun. And there are little changes in the story that are made for the audiobook over the physical book. Nothing that changes the story, but just acknowledges that the reader is listening rather than reading. A few spoilers ahead here, nothing that really gives much of the mystery of the storyline away, but some things that make you wonder how reliable Ern is as a narrator. And honestly, I think he is fairly reliable after having finished the book. Though he tells the story in a certain manner, in a certain way that his reliability is a little questionable, he wants you to know certain things at certain times. And for that spoiler, he doesn't really share much about his wife and their pending divorce until we're quite a bit into the story. It's heartbreaking, and to be honest, I think he's a bit of a doormat, but I say that lovingly as someone who has been a doormat for a lot of their life. While he acknowledges his part in the split, he takes a little more of the blame than I, than I feel he should, and there are always two sides to every breakup. He handles things in stride when he finds out Aaron, his wife, is involved in a relationship with his brother, of all people. I don't think he or Aaron are bad people, but I can't imagine that this is the best course of action for anyone involved. Not that it doesn't happen. I mean, I do know this beautiful couple who got close when her husband died. She leaned on his brother for support, and they ended up getting married and having two beautiful kids together. And they're still married to this day. Though in this case, the brother did die, so there's kind of a big difference there. I just can't imagine getting together with my sibling's ex-spouse in whatever capacity, but it also just seems messy to me. And while relationships are messy, this just seems unnecessarily messy and adding extra messiness to already messy life. <laughs> Ern is a little too good guy here and just wants Aaron to be happy. When Ern is talking about their relationship, he's got a great line that I didn't totally catch what where they're arguing about over breakfast, but it's something how he didn't want to get dramatic over a meal where that much milk is involved. <laughs> Another great line I was genuinely laughing over, but driving so I couldn't note it down and repeat it completely accurately. 
There are a few spots I didn't love in the book, though, to be honest. I was reading a Reddit post the other day about someone questioning books and reviews and what people mean when they say the writing isn't good. So I've been thinking about that a lot lately and what it means when others say it and what it means when I say it on the podcast. I'll say that I enjoy a book, but it's not like great literature, but I never quantify what great literature is. And while I think that could be a standalone episode just talking about what good writing is, or heck, probably even just a standalone podcast, I didn't want to go too deeply into it. To me, good writing is just something that has deeper themes than what's on the surface, that the writing is not just simplistic. Like when I read YA books now, there are some that are just written as an easy to read manner where there are more simple sentences and things that are more straightforward. Good writing is technically sound, too, and if the rules are broken, they're broken on purpose. Good writing is a craft, and while I think there are a lot of of enjoyable books out there that I might read and that I share, it's not what I always consider good or great writing. Figure 8 that I shared in episode 88 this year is not what I'd consider great literature, but I really enjoyed it a lot. If I picked apart the writing, I don't know that it would be good writing, but that doesn't mean for me I can't enjoy a book. And I don't sometimes want to pick apart certain writing because if I do enjoy it, I don't want to pick it apart so that I no longer enjoy it. I've also shared two books recently that I think are good, The Push and The Passage. While I don't think Cronin was always great at dialogue and wasn't always spot on if you looked at his writing technically, I still think he's a good writer. The Push, too, I thought was technically very well done. So when I noticed this not good writing part of the book. It was because I've been paying more attention to what's good writing and what's not as good. It's also for the podcast. I should be writing little reminders about writing that help me in critical in my critical reading. When Ern is sitting down talking to his brother, there's a huge info dump where we, as the reader, get a lot of information about the story in the form of Ern telling his brother. Now, sometimes info dumps are necessary, and it's a lot about how they're done. I don't think it was bad how Stevenson handled this info dump, but I definitely recognized it as what it is, and not a section of the book I enjoyed as much. An info dump or information dump is part of the story that um, that show-don't-tell piece that writers all know about, but it's sometimes hard to do really well. It's something that, as a writer, I struggle with as well. It's a complicated part of writing. You want to get your information across to the reader, but make it an enjoyable and fun ride. I also struggled with the inclusion of green boots. I'd heard about this in the past, but had kind of forgotten about it, probably because it was bothersome to me when I did first hear about it. So according to Wikipedia, quote, green boots is the body of an unidentified climber that became a landmark on the main Northwest Ridge route on Mount Everest. The body has not been officially identified, but is believed to be Swang Pallor, an Indian climber who died on Everest in 1996. The term green boots originated from the green Kolfchak mountaineering boots on his feet. All expeditions from the north side encountered the body curled in the limestone alcove cave at 8,500 meters, 27,900 feet until it was moved in 2014. While I understand the nickname, it just feels very disrespectful to me. While it may be like a quote fun fact that Stevens thought to include in his novel, it doesn't feel fun or even like a cultural touch point 
that I felt was necessary to include in the book. Now, some people might, might not be bothered by it, but I just found it distasteful. That is a person who we're talking about, someone's son, brother, or maybe even father. So when Green Boots is referenced in the book, it's like my least favorite part of the book, and it kind of made me cringe every time I heard it. Overall, though, I did truly enjoy the book. This wasn't, you know, a total detriment as far as the enjoyment. I give this one a five out of five. While I could, well, I could reference the green boots thing or maybe how the writing isn't perfect. I truly enjoyed the novelty and fun of this book. And it's one that I would definitely recommend. Goodreads gives it a 3.81. One reviewer said, quote, gosh, that title just draws you in, doesn't it? However, it did take me a few chapters to get into it. The narrator often talks directly to the reader and combined with the humor can sometimes come across as a bit too much. We also get introduced to all the family members in one go, and I had some trouble keeping straight who was who. But the story, as the story went on, I acclimated to the style and was thoroughly intrigued. I agree about keeping straight who was who. I had a hard time as well because I was driving and I couldn't take as thorough notes as I usually do to help me keep track of things that I want to share. Another reviewer said, quote, this book is the greatest cure for my soul with its darkest sense of smartest humor. I howled. I guffawed. I I didn't imagine I could have so much fun when I read a dark thriller, but I did. It was extremely entertaining. And all of these sentences had exclamation points at the end of these. So I know that they really loved the book. (laughs) Another reviewer said, quote, I'm probably just not as smart enough to get this one. It had a decent start, but then just slowly lost me. I think this author was trying to do too many things here, and it felt like there were too many things going on. Maybe also he was trying to be too cute, and the execution, especially via audiobook, didn't work for me. And it's too bad the reviewer said they aren't smart enough, because I don't think that's the case. The book just didn't work for them. And I do agree that Stevenson was trying to be cute and clever. It did work for me, but I can see how it doesn't work for everyone. The reviewer also said, this specific reviewer said, it's in development by HBO for a series. So I hope that's the case. I'll be sure to watch it and share my thoughts. Media recommendations this week. Gypsy on Netflix. This was a great suspense thriller and I totally got sucked into it. It follows a woman who is a therapist, but also has this secret life where she stalks the people who are her patients in her patients' lives. She befriends them and interacts with them, getting to know them with an alter ego that she's created. It's truly fascinating, but at the same time, I didn't really understand her drive. While I get that everyone has moments of wanting to be someone else, I'm not sure why she used these connections to create this separate life. I'm always fascinated by people who live lives are on the outskirts of what we consider normal, And there's a very voyeuristic view into the life of a very mentally unstable woman. It's good, but it's very disturbing at the same time. Also, Red Queen by Victoria Aviard. I read Red Queen a number of years ago and enjoyed it. It's not great literature, again, but it's a fun YA read. And I've got plans to finish the series this time. There's a bit of a plot twist that really surprised me when I first read it. Though now looking back on it, I probably shouldn't have been at all. And knowing the plot twist didn't change my enjoyment of it. It was a casual fun read that I fit in during the holidays. 
Thank you so much for listening. You can find me on Instagram at don't read drunk. Email me don't read drunk at gmail.com or check out my website. Don't read drunk.buzzsprout.com. There is no apostrophe in any of those. Also, this is a hobby podcast, so you can support me on this podcast through a one-time donation on PayPal using my email, don'treaddrunk at gmail.com. You can also support this podcast by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com slash don'treaddrunk. Thank you so much to my sponsors, Aaron Ruiz at 1UP Till Sunup, who created the music. You can find Aaron and 1UP Till Sunup on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. Avenue Coffee House, you can find them on Facebook and their website at avenue-coffeehouse.com. Also, Karen Rothley Fine Arts, you can find Karen on Etsy and Facebook. Next episode, we'll be talking about Killers of the Flower Moon by David. Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran. Bye, and talk to you soon.